Today we're going to continue a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Legacy Over Legends. Legacy Over Legends. It's one thing to hear stories about legends, things that have happened in days gone by, whether they're true or not. It's one thing to hear stories of what God has done in the past. It's another thing to know God and to walk with him and create a legacy that you pass on from generation to generation. Pastor Zach did the first two weeks in this series, and he asked me to take today's message. We're talking about Gideon. And honestly, when you look at the story of Gideon, even though there are only two or three chapters that are committed to his story, we could preach for several weeks about the life of Gideon and what happened in his story. But we're narrowing it down. And people ask the question, well, we've heard the first part of his story. What's the big deal about Gideon? Why did he become so famous? Well, let me set the story for you for just a moment, if I could. In the Old Testament, there's what's called the book of Judges. You find Gideon's story in the book of Judges, chapter 6, 7, and 8. The thing was, Israel had settled into the promised land. Moses was gone. Joshua had now died. And Israel developed a new generation of people who heard about God, but they had not experienced him for themselves. And as a result, they took on Baal worship. They began to worship other gods. Pastor Zach talked about this the last two weeks. But then in the middle of that, God began to raise up men and women who would point Israel back to God, who would lead them in fighting the battles against their enemies and bring liberty and freedom to the land and turn their hearts back to God. These were called judges, these different individuals, men and women used of God to bring correction and direction to the nation of Israel. So we see Gideon is developing as one of the new judges in Israel. And in the message today, I want to go directly to the story that made Gideon famous. You see, Gideon came from insignificance, out of nowhere. In his own words, he said, of all of my tribe, my family's the least and I'm the least in my family. Why would God choose me? Like the rest of Israel, he'd been living in fear, in bondage, in poverty, trying to hide what little bit he had from the enemy to keep the Midianites from stealing it away. But then Gideon had an encounter with God. And when he had this encounter with God in Judges chapter 6, verse 16, the Lord said to Gideon, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, Gideon didn't do it by himself, and we're going to get into the story here in just a moment. But I want to stop this morning, and I want you to understand the significance of one person answering God's call who can turn the course of a family and even an entire nation when he surrendered to God's will for his life. So today, as we begin to look at this, I want to talk about the great victory of Gideon. And there's three specific things in this story, and I'm going to tell you the story and show you a few verses of Scripture, and then I'm going to show you how we can apply this to our own lives today, talking about legacy over legends. God had called Gideon, and he had asked him to 
lead his people, to bring reform. And it started first with Gideon and his own house. But in order to be free from the Midianites, there had to be a war. There had to be an army that would fight and liberate the nation of Israel. So God called Gideon to lead this army. Notice, if you would, Judges chapter 7, verse number 2. It says this. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, here's what happens. Gideon is about to lead the army of Israel to fight the Midianites. And the Midianites, Scripture says, were so many that you could not number them. And they would come into the land of Israel and swarm in like locusts and just devour everything in the land and take away what the Israelites had built for themselves. And so this army was great. You couldn't even count their camels. There were so many of them. And God called his army together and 32,000 men showed up to fight in the army. Now let's think about that for a moment. 32,000 men, that sounds like a lot of men. But when you put 32,000 up against an army that cannot be numbered, you realize that the odds are stacked against them before the battle even begins. If they had had the manpower and the strength to drive out the Midianites, they would have done it long before this time. But they didn't have the ability. They didn't have the army. They didn't have the force needed to liberate the people of Israel. So God called the army together. Gideon called them in. When they came in, they counted them 32,000. But God said to Gideon, you got too many people. Because I want Israel to know I'm the one who's giving them the victory. So God began to give Gideon instructions, and here's what Gideon did. He turned to the 32,000. He said, hey, we're getting ready to go defeat the Midianites. If you're afraid to fight, I want you to go home. The Bible says of 32,000, 22,000 left immediately and went home. That left 10,000 soldiers. Now, can you imagine... An army of 32,000 is greatly outnumbered, but now it's down to 10,000 fighters. And then God looks at the 10,000 and says, you know what? That's still too many. I don't want them to think they've done this in their own strength. So God said, take them down to a place where there's water and let them get water to drink. Scripture says they went down to the water and God said, Gideon, you watch them and I'll tell you who to take in the army. And when they arrived at the water, two things happened. There were many people who got down on their hands and knees and buried their face in the water and began to suck up the water out of the pool. But then there were some who stopped and knelt, watching what was going on around them, scooping up the water and lapping it out of their hands. And God said to Gideon, those who stoop and lap the water, being aware of what's going on around them, those who will be alert soldiers, those are the ones that I want. So tell all the others to go home. And when they separated the people, there were 300 soldiers left in Israel. 32,000, 10,000, and now there's 300 can you imagine the odds? How many of you would have loved to have been in the army that day? 300 going out to fight an army that you can't even number. Verse 7 
of Judges 7 says, Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So there's the army, 300 soldiers. But then the second part of this story is the battle plan. Every army needs a battle plan. If you're going to go to war, you have to have a plan on how you're going to attack, how you're going to defend, how you're going to fight. So God gave Gideon a battle plan. Verse number 16 says this. Then Gideon divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And Gideon said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. Now, let's pause there for just a moment. Okay, 32,000 soldiers. They know a little bit about fighting. 22,000 go home. You're down to 10,000. 9,700 leave, and now you're down to 300. And they grab their weapons, and when Gideon gives them weapons, what do they have? A trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch down in the pitcher. And Gideon says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow my instructions. Whatever I do, I want you to do the exact same thing because we're going to surround the enemy. And when I begin to act, I want you to do what I do. And we're going to see God give us a great victory. Now, how many of you would be excited to be in that army knowing that's the battle plan? It's 300, but now we're down not to swords, not to spears. Now we're down to trumpets and pitchers and torches. But that was God's battle plan. And what Gideon said to them was, we're going to surround the enemy. And when we do that, at the moment that I give the signal, I want you to break the pitchers and wave those torches and let those lights come alive and we're going to throw light all around the camp and then we're going to blow the trumpets and we're going to shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And when we do that, God's going to give us a victory. Well, I'll tell you what, from a very natural standpoint, I'm not sure I, wanted, I would have wanted to be following Gideon that day. What a battle plan, but it was the battle plan of the Lord. And then there's the third part of the story. They go surround the enemy. They prepare to go to battle. They follow the instructions. And here's what happens, the results. Verse 20. Then the three companies blew the trumpets. They broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out, and they fled. And when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zerira, as far as the border of Abel-Mahola by Tabith. So the story is, God gave them an amazing victory because... When they broke the pitchers, waved the torches, blew the trumpets, and shouted, 
God confused and terrified the enemy. They turned on one another trying to get away. They killed many of their own soldiers. And then they fled for their lives and Israel pursued them. Not only that, they called in the rest of Israel to come and help them finish the battle. And they chased them for days until they had totally destroyed the Midianite army. And so we have the legend of Gideon. But today, we're talking about legacy, not just legends. We're talking about our life battles. We're talking about our lives and how do we build the life God wants us to have. We're talking about how we can create a legacy for the next generation. And anytime we say the next generation, we're talking about your children your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, not just somebody else's, but what is your legacy that you leave for your family? How do we create a godly legacy for the next generation? Three things I want to talk about in the next few minutes, and I'll be quick. Number one, if we're going to create a, a godly legacy... We have to be willing to fight the battles of life. Now that sounds so simple. For some people it went in one ear and out the other. But let me stay here for a couple of minutes. We have to be willing to fight the battles of life. How many of you know that life is filled with challenges and battles? They're out there. If you're walking with God, your life is filled with all kinds of challenges. It goes with the territory. But it's amazing how many people in our world are not willing to fight for victory. As it was in the days of Gideon, people will live in poverty. People will live in despair. People will live in fear. People will live in hiding. They will do anything that they have to do as long as they don't have to fight. Think about that. And, and as I was preparing for this message, I, I couldn't help but go through those numbers again. 32,000 soldiers was whittled down to 10,000 because 22,000 were afraid. Did you know that means 69% of the army was afraid to fight? Can you imagine what our land would look like today and this being Veterans Day week? Can you imagine what our our world would look like if our armies were afraid to fight. 69%, more than two out of three, were afraid to fight. And you know what I found in my many years of pastoring? There are a lot of Christians who aren't willing to fight for what God has promised us. It's quiet this morning. Second service is always a little quiet. That's okay. As long as you go, go to sleep. One Sunday, one Sunday I looked down here and there was a man who was nodding off and going to sleep. And I looked at his wife and I said, would you please wake him up? And she looked at me and said, she said, you wake him up. You're the one that put him to sleep. So hopefully that won't happen today. But think about that. Two thirds of the army was afraid to fight. And then from 10,000 down to 300, 9,700 out of 10,000 
were so self-consumed that when they saw water, they just got lost in the water and got down on their face and they just began to suck it up and they didn't even stop to realize they were called to battle and they need to keep an eye on the enemy and what was going on around them. It's amazing how many people go through life unaware of what's happening. I'm going to make a statement today and I want you to think about this prayerfully. Take it, take it to heart today. We cannot afford to be pacifists when it comes to the battles of life. A lot of people think, well, if I just ignore the enemy, eventually he'll go away. Yes, he will. After he's stolen everything you have, after he's given you no hope, after he's put you in fear, after he gives you no future, he will leave you alone because he's got you right where he wants you, underneath his thumb. It's good preaching today, if I may say so. Really good. You don't need to clap. It's okay. I'll clap for myself, okay? I cheer myself. But 97% of that 10,000 were distracted by all the cares of life and everything else, and they didn't even concern themselves with being a soldier and being in the army. When you get to that final number, 300 out of 32,000, that means less than 1% of those soldiers were prepared for battle. One of the things I want to do today is I want to prepare you for battle. I want you to be ready to walk out of this place today and say, the devil's had his place too long in my life. I'm going to put him in his place, and I'm going to win this battle in Jesus' name. Here's what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, be sober. That's pretty good for those of us living in wine country, isn't it? (laughs) Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But he said, resist him and be steadfast in the faith. You know, when Paul wrote to a young preacher, Timothy, he said, Timothy, you have got to fight the good fight of faith. You know what I've learned? If you'll fight the fight of faith and listen to God, God will fight the rest of the battles for you. But you've got to be willing to stand up and fight the fight of faith. Several years ago, when I was a little younger, well, actually, I was a lot younger, I'd moved back to Southern California, and I had some friends who were playing in a softball league, and they asked me to play in this league with them. So we wound up playing one night a week and Saturday mornings in two different softball leagues. The Saturday morning league was an interesting group. Because it was a group of Christian guys, several teams in the league, and for the most part, they're really nice guys. But the team that I was playing on, they'd won the championship two or three years in a row when I joined the team. And I thought, wow, these guys are good ball players. And of course, being competitive, growing up playing ball my whole life, I was loving playing with those guys. And the first year we played, we won the championship. The next year, we won the championship. For two or three years, we continued to win the championship. Now, in the regular season, we lost a game here or there, but when it came down to the playoffs and the finals, we always found a way, even if we had to come from behind, to come back and win the games. And there was one team that was pretty nasty when they lost. They were tired of losing, but so much for that. Most of the guys, when the games were over, they'd come up and shake your hand and say, good game, you guys did it, you beat us again. Well, so be it, you're just better than us. And we had a guy on our team played first base. He was an older guy. He had a big full beard, dark hair, bald on top, a little bit of hair in the back. And he wore one of those ball caps with the fake ponytail in the back of it. 
And he, and his name was Jerry, nice guy. And one day, we were talking after winning the championship, talking about the other teams we had played. And he said, did you, did you notice how nice everybody was when they lost? I said, yeah. He said, here's what I believe. You show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. I had to let that sink in. Because I'd been raised to, to be a good sport. When you lose, you have to you know, tell the other team, hey, you did a great job, you beat us, da, da, da. He said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the idea that they don't mind losing. And he said, the difference between us and them is we don't want to lose. And you know, that stuck with me through the years. Because I think there's a lot of truth to that. Some people just get used to losing and they say, well, this is God's lot for my life. This is not God's lot for your life. It's settling for less than what God has for us. God has called us to victory, not to defeat. We need to find out what does he want us to do? What is the battle plan? Go out and fight the battle and let God bring us the victories he has promised. We're all called to fight the fight. We've got to fight the fight. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul, Paul even said, you know what? God's given us armor for battle. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, our loins gird with truth, on our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, in one hand the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of the enemy, in the other hand the sword of the spirit to go out and defeat the enemy, to say what God says about us, to put it into action and not just be defensive but go on the offensive and put the enemy in his place. He said he's given us winning weapons. We need to use those weapons. And not only that, he describes all of this, all this armor, and he says, Put your armor on and stand tall. And he goes one step further and says, and pray. Don't leave God out of your battles. Did you know some of the greatest victories you'll ever experience in this life? You'll win those battles on your knees. Pull God into every battle and let him give you victory. Number one, we got to be willing to fight the battles of life. Number two... We have to follow God's instructions. We've got to follow God's instructions. I want to take a couple of minutes, and I just want to talk about this battle plan that God gave Gideon, because I think there's some things we can find here for ourselves today. First of all, he said, I want you to take a pitcher and put the torch down in the pitcher and carry it in your left hand. Now, when you make a torch and you get the oil on the end of the torch with whatever you have on the torch that will burn when you get that torch when you put it down in the pitcher the flame goes down but it continues to smolder but the minute that pitcher is broken and that torch is exposed to oxygen you wave that torch and it'll come back to life and it'll begin to burn brightly so what he told them was, let's quietly go into battle with our torches hidden, with our lights hidden. But when the battle begins, we're going to break this pitcher and pull out this torch and we're going to wave it and the light is going to shock the enemy. You know, Paul said, we have an amazing gift from God, an, an amazing treasure, but it, it dwells in this earthen vessel. And you know, as long as I'm out there fighting in my name, as long as I'm out there trying to make myself famous and make a name for myself, I'm going to struggle. 
But the minute I fall on the rock and begin to trust Jesus and let this thing be broken, all of a sudden the light that God's put in me begins to bri- 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 uh, burn brighter and brighter and brighter. And everybody around me can see what's going on. And I think a lot of us fail to realize that personal denial releases the power of God. A broken heart, a broken vessel that's surrendered to God will release the light of God. But sometimes we're so busy fighting for our own things that we cover up the light and the power of God that God's put in us. We need to let these vessels be broken so that God's purposes come out, not just ours. And then the other thing was, in in the right hand, he said, take a trumpet. Take a trumpet. Well, we know what a trumpet does. But a trumpet and then a shout, that's using our voices to proclaim something. When they blew those trumpets, when they began to sound reveille, when they began to to play the war cry, the enemy knew they were in a battle. And when they began to shout, oh, this is the army and the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, we're here to defeat you. The enemy was put on notice. We mean business today. We're following the instructions of God. And I think sometimes we devalue the power of our voices. I love what bridge women are doing this year with mapping out God's word. I think it's awesome. Because they take scripture and they, they meditate on it. They think about it. And then number two, they apply it. And then after they figured out, how do I apply this to my life? Then they begin to proclaim. They begin to use their voices. They begin to use their trumpets to tell the enemy, God has made this promise to me. This is my territory. You've tried to steal it from me, but you're not taking my blessing any longer. I'm taking back what God has promised. You've been living here too long. It's time for you to go, and I'm proclaiming this is who God is, and I trust him today. We need to be willing to proclaim what God has promised for us. And if you go through scripture, cover to cover, there are all kinds of battles that are won, all kinds of miracles that happen. And the thing that's interesting is for every battle, every new battle, God gave different instructions on how they needed to fight the battles. Let me give you an illustration. Back in Israel, when God was about to set the people free from Egypt, He had them kill a lamb and put the blood over the doorposts of the house. And when the death angel passed by, they were protected. When they got to the Jordan River, God said, no, no, I'm not going to use the lamb this time. I want the priest to step out and stand in the waters of the Jordan River. When their feet are resting in the Jordan, I'll open up the waters. And he did, and they crossed on dry ground. When they went to Jericho, God gave them a battle plan. He said, march around the walls one time a day for six days. On the seventh day, march around seven times and let out a shout, and the walls will fall into the ground. And they did, and they won the battle. And sometimes we as Christians get so stuck on saying, well, this is how you're supposed to fight battles. God told me 20 years ago to do this, and it worked. I don't know why it's not working now. It's probably because we haven't got God's new instructions for the new battle. This is even better preaching than what I was doing earlier. (laughs) We need to know God's instructions for what we're dealing with in life and how to approach those battles. Romans chapter 8 tells us that as sons of God, as daughters of God, we can be led by the Spirit of God. Led here, led there, go here, go there, do it now, do it tomorrow, do it next week. 
God's voice will lead us if we'll listen. Isaiah chapter 30, God spoke to his people and said, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. You may be going to the right, you may be going to the left, but hear the voice of God, and when God speaks, listen to his voice and go in that direction. I'll tell you something, the voice of God will never lead you astray. Several years ago, there was a, a gentleman who attended our church, and he had spent his entire life building a company a construction company, one aspect of construction. And he came down to the end of his working years. He was about ready to retire. And he was looking at his retirement money. He almost had everything in place, but he needed a little more work, a little more money. He had family working for him. He had friends working for him. The company had gotten to be a good-sized company. And all of a sudden, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009 hit, and everybody remembers what happened back then. Markets crashed, building stopped. He had no work, and he kept paying his employees. Even though they had no work, he hurt for them. He had compassion, empathy on them. He kept paying his employees. Some were family members, some were not, but he kept paying them. Started going through his savings, started going through his retirement. It got to the place where he was this close to losing everything. He began to say, God, what, what am I supposed to do? The recession has hit. There's no work. This is all I've known my whole life. I've worked all these years. I'm no longer a young man. I'm ready to stop working. And now I'm going through the money. What am I going to do? Begin to pray. He said, God, I have to have another job. I have to have more work. He got a call, and several miles from here, there was a very large project that involved many, many, many acres, hundreds of acres. He put a bid in on the job, and he said, I've never done jobs that big. It really wasn't my forte, but I had to have the job. I had to have something to sustain me and, and repair my retirement. So he said, I put in my bid, waited several months, got a call back, and they said, you won the bid. He said, so I got my guys ready to go to work. But they delayed. And they delayed. And they delayed. And he said, I was down to the place where any day I was going to lose everything. He said, God, I've trusted you. You've provided this job, but they keep postponing it because of the economy. What am I going to do? One day the Spirit of God just dropped something in his heart. And this big old rough construction man got in his truck and drove several miles to the job site. There was a fence around the property. There were gates there. The gates were locked. Couldn't get in. There was no progress. And I don't know where he got it except from the Spirit of God that he pulled out a bottle of olive oil. He said, I don't know if that's the right kind, but that's what I found at the store. He said, I poured olive oil on my hand and I laid my hands on that gate and said, God, you gave us this job. You promised to take care of us. We have to have this to keep my family alive and provide. God, if this doesn't come through, we have no hope, but I'm trusting you in Jesus' name. Open up the way. That next week, construction started and they began to cut checks. 
And it was a huge job, the biggest job he'd ever done. They got into the job about a third of the way through it, and they called him up and they said, you know what, we're changing all the plans. All the work you've already done, change it and rip it out. We want you to do something different. We'll pay you for that. And they went back in and did more work, and they came back and said, no, we're going back to the first plan. We want to go back to this. And they said, we're going to pay you for this. And he went back and did it. Finally, it lasted months and months and months. And when they finished the job, he had everything he needed to take care of his family, his retirement in his company because God was his source. See, you gotta, you gotta follow God's instructions. And, I, and I, I'm gonna be honest with you. Sometimes God's a little goofy. Did you ever notice that? 300 men? What are our weapons? Trumpet? Pitcher? A torch? I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. God's spirit will lead us He'll show us the battle plan if we'll listen to him. Third thing, last thing, very quickly. We need to end the enemy's dominion over our future. We need to end the enemy's dominion over our future. Here's what happened. When they... When they began the battle, they broke the pitchers, waved the torches, sounded the trumpets, shouted. The enemy began to run in all directions, running over each other. Gideon and the Israelites began to pursue them. They called in the rest of the nation to come join the battle and chase after them. The Bible tells us in the next couple of chapters that Gideon went and found the two kings of the Midianites and he killed both of them. Because he knew as long as they have kings, as long as they have people of authority speaking to them, they'll rise up again. He killed both of their kings. But not only that, Gideon had the armies go out and find the princes, the sons of the kings. And they killed them to make sure that the next generation would be free from the oppression of the Midianites. We've all fought battles to get where we are. God has been good to us. He's given us victory. But we don't want to leave the enemy in the weeds to attack the next generation. We need to prepare them for the battles that are coming. Every generation will have to fight battles. We need to end the enemy's dominion over our future. Some of us look down the road and we don't see any hope, any future. It's because we're not looking to Jesus. If you're looking to God, there is a hope and a future for you. God is your hope. God is your future. But you've got to trust him. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul wrote these words. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. But they're mighty. They're supernatural in God for pulling down strongholds strongholds are things the enemy builds to fight against us verse 5 he said casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of god and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of christ being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled what paul said was We've got to fight the battle today, but we have to end complacency and set a watch 
Because if we don't put the enemy in his place, he'll be back. He'll be back. Gideon made sure there was no hope for the next two generations for the Midianites. And today as I close this message, when we start talking about a legacy, can I tell you? I, 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 don't, want, I don't want to be a legend. I want to build a legacy that my sons and my grandchildren carry into the future, walking with God and serving God and knowing God and seeing God be God in their lives. Every family, every family needs someone to stand up and say, enough is enough. This ends right here. We're not going to live in poverty. We're not going to be attacked by the enemy over and over again. We're not going to live in fear. We're not going to live in hiding. We're going to trust God. We're going to follow his instructions. And we're going to see God be God in our lives just the way he's promised. Somebody has to say, it begins with me. It begins with me. I want to create a legacy of faith, of victory of peace, of prosperity for future generations to come. I believe God's speaking to people right now. I want to ask you to bow your heads if you would. What God is saying to one could be very different from what God is saying to someone else. But I want you to hear the voice of the Lord today. Father, as we sit before you right now, I ask you to speak to each one of us what we need to hear about our willingness to fight, about your instructions for our lives, and looking down the road what we need to do to help prepare for the future. Speak to us today, Father. Speak to us in Jesus' name. I know across this room there are people saying, Father, I want our family to change today. God, give them a battle plan. Give them the battle plan. Give them the strength to stand up and fight. And then, Father, I pray you'd give them the victory you've promised in your word. In Jesus' name. We will hear your instructions and we will obey. In Jesus' name. While heads are still bowed for just a moment. Maybe you've listened to this today and you've thought, man, I, I would love to see the course of my life change but I don't have God involved in my life. God will get involved right now if you'll open your heart to him. So I want to pray with you today. I'm going to ask you to pray with me and wrap your heart around this prayer. God, we need you today. We need you to come into our lives and show us the way forward from here. Father, I believe Jesus is the son of God who died for my sins and was raised from the dead. I accept Jesus as my Savior, as my champion, as my Lord. And now I listen for your instructions because I want to know you. I want to learn your ways. I want to follow you. I want you to be God in my life. I want you to give me the kind of life you've promised in your word. So I'll follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here's the deal. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to help you get started walking with God because that's not the end of the journey. That prayer is just the beginning. When service is over, I'd love to give you a simple tool. It's a booklet called The Next Seven Days. 
It's just simple reading for the next week to get you started walking with God. When service is over, we'll have prayer teams here at the front of the building. Just walk up to one of these teams and say, hey, can I get the booklet? Can I get the tool? We'll give it to you right there. It's no strings attached. Don't need anything from you. If you want to talk, if you've got questions, you want prayer, they'll help you. If you want to get it and go, that's fine. Out in the lobby, right in the middle of the glass doors, there's a counter set up there. You can get the same book there if you're in a really big rush today. We simply want to help you begin your journey with God today. So God bless you. God bless you. Last thing. This coming week, it's not only Veterans Day, but Tuesday is a very important day because it's a day we vote. Every two years we have these elections. Every four years we vote on on bigger issues. But this week there's some really big issues that the state of California and our country are going to be voting on. I've preached in recent weeks about God's word, what God says in his word about different issues. I'm not here to talk politics, but I'm never going to stop preaching this right here. And, and, I, and I want you to hear me. I'm not, I'm not about to tell you how to vote. You should be smart enough to vote for yourself according to God's word. But here's the deal. We live in a land where we are blessed to be able to cast a vote and have a say in what goes on in our country. That's a blessing. And I say this every two years at, at election time. Your vote is your prayer. Don't pray for one thing and vote for something else. Know the issues. Know the candidates. Know their platform. The platform is their plan for the future. It's their vision. It's what they want the country to be. If you don't know the platform, then you don't know that candidate. Stands on a platform. Know the issues before you vote. Pray. Ask God to lead you. If you don't know what's going on, find a godly friend. There are some godly websites out there, Christian websites. You can find information on the issues. But I'm going to tell you something. The future of the state of California is weighing in the balance this week with some things on that ballot. And you need to know what God says in his word. As your pastor, I believe you'll do this. and You'll follow the leading God's spirit. God bless you. Love you today. Pastor Corey. Can we say thank you to Pastor Gary for that awesome message this morning? So, so, so good. Hey, this is the time in our service where we get to worship God with our giving. You'll see that there's several options on the screen. If you want to give a physical gift in person today, there's some envelopes on your chair back, two spots that you could give. Right before you get to the foyer, on either side of the exit door, there's some giving stations right there. There's one more right over by the kids' uh, check-in area. But as Pastor Gary was speaking this morning about legacies and legends, I started thinking about this morning and how cool it was to see when we honored veterans, so many veterans from, of so many different ages standing up and we really truly do love our veterans. And as the next gen pastor getting to oversee our young adults, high school, junior high, kids ministry, can I tell you veterans in this church, our young people, they love you, they honor you. You guys are their heroes. And, and in our church right here, I, I started thinking, it's such a great way of, of investing legacy when we give into a church like this, where I, I get, can I tell you guys, I, not, there's very, very, very few people in the church that get to see every generation like I do most Sundays. On any given Sunday, I'll be over in kids' ministry from room one in the nursery to elementary school, every age in between. I'll spend some time with junior hires and high schoolers, and then I'll be right here with adults of all ages. 
uh, this coming Sunday, uh, we have our young adults meeting that's coming up. I'm, I'm with young every generation. And it's so amazing because I see that when we invest here, we're investing in generations to come. And one of the things that's really, really cool that I think about is that what if my giving, my giving can be one of the things that God uses in someone's grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. Maybe one day I'll be in heaven hundreds and hundreds of years from now. And someone will walk up to me in heaven and say, hey, you have no idea who I am, but your investment into, into God's church, into the kingdom, was part of what God used to reach me. It's so cool to think that we are making an investment that'll last generations and generations to come. So as your next-gen pastor who gets to see so many generations, even right now in our church, can I just say thank you for the investment that you make in them. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for not just believing in what God's doing here at the church, but believing in generations to come. We appreciate you. We know this, that the work of the ministry happens because of a faithful God and faithful people just like you. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church today? I know that I have. One more time, I'll tell you that uh, next Sunday, one week from today, November 13th, we have switched up how we're doing our young adults ministry. So if you're a young adult, come join us next Sunday, 5 p.m. in our foyer. We're going to have some worship. We'll have coffee. We'll have a message. We'll have connect groups happening where we'll get some discussion going on. It'll be absolutely awesome. Come join us. Come hang out. Hey, have a great week. Enjoy your Veterans Day. We love you guys so much. We'll see you next week.